After putting together a long winning streak at home, Manchester City have suddenly been held twice at home in quick succession in the Premier League. They find themselves third in the table. They've only won nine of their league games so far. We expect the City backlash and a stellar run of form. But will that start away to an Aston Villa side that's now won 13 Premier League home games on the spin? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. A special midweek edition of the show and a special tipping team for you, starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark Villa, formidable at home, showed fighting spirit at the weekend to grab a draw at Bournemouth. This isn't going to be easy for City by any stretch. No, no, absolutely not. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a bonkers weekend or a bonkers Sunday in the Premier League, wasn't it? With I think it was 24 goals and five games across all. And um, yeah, Villa and Man City were, were definitely sort of heavily amongst that goal total. And um, Villa, you said that game against Bournemouth, uh, the 2-2 draw, they're actually pretty poor for the most part in that match and, and probably a little bit fortunate to to pinch a pointer as um, Man City failing to hold on to a lead twice in that thrill thriller against Spurs. So, you know, there's been quite a lot of examination into Man City's recent form and that performance against Man City. Um, you know, they, they struggled to hold on to leads against Chelsea not that long ago either. It's now nine goals conceded in four games. And I guess the control that Pep has been demanding hasn't been forthcoming uh, too often recently. And um, they seem to be conceding from every sort of reasonable opportunity they're conceding at the minute. And, um, you know, Leipzig something, did something very similar in the Champions League. I know it wasn't a, a really meaningful match for Man City, but even still, the warning signs were there. And I wonder whether John Stones' absence could be kind of partially to blame for that. Um, he's been absent for a while now. They seem to lose a little when he's not sort of operating in that hybrid role. Um but I think on Sunday, instead of blaming the referee for that poor call in the, in the last minute of the match, which was horrendous, um, I think you probably need to look at the the output, uh, the finishing from Manchester City, because Erling Haaland was uh, as much to blame as anyone for that terrible miss in the first half. And City had other chances. You know, Doku hit the bar. They did generate over three expected goals. And on another day, they probably could and should have won that match in the first half. But they didn't. And um, here we are there. Still within touching distance of Arsenal anyhow. And I think after 14 games last season, they were five adrift of Arsenal. Uh, it's only three points this time around. So there's no real panic at all for me for, with Man City. They'll work themselves out. They're kind of striding along at the minute. And as we know, they come into their own really in the springtime. That's when they start sprinting for home. And, you know, for me, they're still easily the, the Premier League favourites. But, um, yeah, it was a bonkers game on Sunday. Um, I'm expecting something similar actually midweek against Aston Villa. Because like Spurs and Postacoglu, Villa won't really alter their approach here. I'm expecting an aggressive high line. I'm expecting them to engage and to attack City. Um, and so hopeful we'll get some more kind of wonderful chaos. And, um, yeah, for me, the the obvious avenue to attack in this match is, is to back goals again. Um, obviously, there could be um, a big dollop of sort of recency bias spawned into this thought process. But is actually backed up by the by the underlying numbers as well, the actual goal output as well as the the underlying metrics too. And you know, key kind of team news needs to be taken into account here too, because um, I'm not sure if people are aware, but Rodri will be missing here for Man City. This is his uh, fifth yellow card of the weekend. 
and his importance has been highlighted a lot on this podcast and in Man City's results this season. They lost all three fixtures he missed through suspension at Newcastle Wolves and Arsenal earlier on in the campaign. And I did a, a look at a larger sample actually with and without him. Uh, I looked at City's last 100 Premier League matches. He has started 86 of those. City's win percentage was 76% and their goals per, per game conceded was 0.87%. In the 14 matches without him, that win percentage drops to 57% and wow. the goals per game increases to 1.14. So, you know, small samples, obviously, but that's a, a significant decrease in win percentage and increase in goals per game again. So I started looking at Aston Villa on the handicap in fairness, but uh, the plus one has, has long gone really since the weekend um, and the team news. Um, that would have required City to win this match by two goals or more. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, they've got that, this club record winning streak at Villa Park. We know Unai Emery's got a, a fantastic record in charge and, and Villa actually held City here last season too. But I think that game was under Steven Gerrard's watch, if I'm right, I might not be. But um, yeah, either way, I, I think Villa can be kind of right, re relentless really in front of their own supporters and with City's defensive woes, as well as City failing to win five of the last eight in the Premier League, this just feels like a great opportunity to get them on side in some way or form. Uh, Bubakar Kamara is back from suspension as well, which will be a big plus. They'll be close to their best 11. City only won twice uh, in nine um, um, at the top half last season, which is obviously not great. This season they've won at Burnley and Sheffield United, but take out those matches and they've dropped points in three or five trips in the Premier League. It's now three clean sheets in 18 across all competitions. So you expect Villa to score here. And if they do so, um, City are going to have to really up their game because um, they've been they've been pretty ropey the best of times but, um, recently. But uh, yeah, as I say, I, I prefer goals actually because the, the handicap is gone. So um, over two and a half goals, both teams to score and a goal to be scored in both halves comes in at 185. Um, and that's appealing enough really for me. These two teams have only managed six Premier League clean sheets between them this season. Villa will give you opportunities with that high line. They've actually seen 10 of 14 see BTTS. Five of their six home league wins have seen BTTS. Um, and nine of their 14 games overall have seen Overs and BTTS Bank. City's only clean sheets away at top half teams since the start of last season uh, came in the derby a few weeks back. So they're not accustomed to keeping teams out on the road. Um, so, yeah. They're both a, they both were a similar price before this morning and the Villa plus one went. So I'll put up the overs and BTTS and the goal in both halves. But just something else I wanted to sort of highlight as well. It's six to four for Matty Cash to commit two or more fouls in this match. He was rested on Sunday, expecting him to be back in the side here. He'll be up against Doku because Grealish is banned. So, you know, he should get a full 90 against Doku here. And as we know, Doku leads all the sort of metrics in terms of take-ons, dribbles and so on. So... Cash will be up against it for the most part. So um, I think 13 to 5 for a card. And Peter Banks is the referee too. So he's pretty card heavy as well. So there's a couple of cash selections to go alongside what should be a goal heavy and entertaining match. Trader, tipster, and believe it or not, the voice of red light, green light robot in Squid Game, Emmett O'Keefe, is with us. Uh, Emmett, have City just had a couple of tough games in a packed schedule? Or is there something deeper here for you? Um, I know I'm supposed to have a strong opinion on this, but I, the answer is I just don't really know. I, I, I don't. I don't know. I think it's like, as well. I'm just. I'm just scarred by kind of pre previous seasons. Like I feel like City kind of playing with their food and having a few unconvincing results before Christmas, before kind of turning it on after Christmas is just like. It's like uh, one of these these kind of repetitive plots in the TV shows. You kind of know that you kind of know what's coming. Um, TV shows that come to mind probably would be um, The Walking Dead and uh, maybe even Peaky Blinders in in, in that regard for me. Um, but so I, I just kind of 
and like his city's underlying numbers are excellent at the weekend. Like if 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 like bounces the ball go their way, they beat Spurs. Like it's they're like they were there. They were extremely dominant. So I'm kind of I, I'm kind of not sure. Like I, I, and as as Mark Mark illustrated as well with, with with those statistics, how important Rodri is to them, and like that a lot of their negative results this season have came without him. So that obviously gives Villa Villa a huge chance um, this week, but also over the season, you'd expect Rodri to be available for most of the matches. So then that kind of that kind of negative impact won't be kind of felt as much. So I'm I'm still not that worried about about City long term. What, what was interesting to me would be just the, their their opposition. Can Arsenal or Liverpool get close to the ninety-point mark? I think that's the that's the real question, right? The league, because like if if City aren't at their best or or kind of have a, have a few slip ups in previous years, City have won the league with kind of eighty-nine points, eighty-six points, and they have they haven't had that challenger that's putting major pressure on them. So I think that's the the real question at the moment. Like. We've seen a bit kind of more of Arsenal's kind of offensive output in kind of rec- increasing in, in kind of recent matches. And I think that'll that'll need to happen. But I, I do think, say, it's definitely compared to last year, City have better challengers, I feel, in, in Liverpool and Arsenal. So maybe if, if, if they do kind of, if they are a bit complacent and they do give give teams a kind of a, a six point gap like they have in previous seasons, maybe maybe it'll be be that bit more difficult. But I wouldn't at the moment, given the evidence in front of us, I don't think you could be that worried about City. But I just I think this is just an, this is a, just an intriguing test to see how good Villa are. Because I think in there have been some matches, say at the weekend against Bournemouth, like Villa were destroyed by Bournemouth on the expected goals on on chances created. So I'm just kind of I'm intrigued to see. But we know Villa are a different team at home, so can Villa? Really Really step up in class and show that they're on on the level against a slightly weakened city. I think it's a really really interesting game. Nothing, not not a game I have a tip on, but I think it's a fascinating clash. See, nice mix there of football analysis and TV criticism. What more do you people want? Uh, last but not least, odds compiler, tipster, and pillar of Maltese High Society, Mark Stinchcomb on the panel. Stinch, how do you see this one going? Because it does feel like one of the most intriguing games of the season so far? I think probably in keeping with what we've seen in the Premier League so far this season, unpredictable. Um, there's been a lot of volatility with the changing rules, the terrible refereeing, um, the inability to follow a logical process when making decision in a room millions of miles away with nobody shouting at you. Um, yeah, just... Then you add in all the suspensions and and absentees and the fact that the games are coming thick and fast. Yeah, just lots of uh, unpredictability, I, I think. Rodri has mentioned huge, huge absence, arguably more important to them than, than De Bruyne nowadays. Um, I've mentioned it before, but it's not from his defensive point of view, which is what we'd probably mostly associate with him. But you see how effective he is so much higher up the pitch. Uh, he won the ball back yesterday, I think, for Grealish's goal. Um, and then he was even there ready for the cutback. If if it hadn't gone to Grealish, it could have easily um, been played back to him. So I think he's massive. And when you consider the fact they lost Mares and Gundogan over the summer, who contribute so much in terms of goals and assists, that not Kovacic or, or Nunes aren't going to do the same as Gundogan in my mind in terms of that output. And then Doku, yeah, for all his uh, fancy ability, is he going to be as consistent as as Mares in the short term? Long term, probably fine, but uh, in in the short term, is that going to come to fruition? Also, obviously, with Doku going off early yesterday, I'm wondering if perhaps he's carrying a knock. 
Um, not 100% sure uh, there. Uh, obviously, Grealish suspended. So that, you know, a bit of a void there on the left. Can you bring Cole Palmer in? Oh, no, we sold Cole Palmer to a rival. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a, a bit Have bizarre. Have they left themselves a bit thin then, do you think? I because think so. Kevin De Bruyne is obviously out. That's a massive blow. I think and so. Because you look players at, go. You look at their bench against Liverpool, for example. They named two goalkeepers. Then it's John Stones, Guardiola, Rico Lewis, Phillips, Gomez and Oscar Bob. Like what are you going to do to try and change the game? And Guardiola didn't make a sub in that game. So that's another 90 minutes um, or sorry, 90 minutes, probably 115 minutes, whatever with, yeah, this, with the ridiculous injury times. Um, the other thing in terms of that is, you know, with the, <laughs> yes, this is going to be very ironic, but you know how the stupid thing is, but the flag doesn't go up until um, way after the, the event in case it's happened. Player yesterday was one where sorry Sunday there was one where I think it was a dogey was about ten yards offside so obvious offside and they still played on the whole Man City defense because they were so high up so far away from the dogey they had to break into a huge sprint to get back now that's that's using up more energy no wonder there's more injuries happening as a result of these plays also being added on top of the extra injury time so that's another one where the the, the premier league in my mind is, is losing control of its, its league i think in terms of um how honest it is and and just changing the rules for the sake of trying to improve a product which in my mind is already 98 percent plus and you know, very good so uh yeah you think about um, obviously going away to Villa Park with Villa having won 13 home games in a row, but I'm sorry, Unai Emery is still he's still not a top class manager in in my mind. Look at him yesterday. How dare uh, you? How I know, I know, you? but it's loads look, of love on this show. You look at him <laughs> yesterday uh, against uh, Bournemouth. He tr- decided to play Konza up against uh, Semenu, who absolutely ran him ragged. And he, he last, I think he at Konza didn't get subbed until like 15 minutes before the end. And arguably the damage could have been uh, done even more there. Last season in, in the one game that Emery played against City, they, they conceded 17 shots, which is, which is, you know, about average for, for uh, against a Man City team. But Man City racked up nearly four expected goals. So I don't want to back City because of the absentees. If City had full strength by De Bruyne, uh, yeah, we're back city at uh, you know one point. I mean the one point eight six, so it was sort of like one point seven um, before the Rodri and Grealish suspensions. If they were available, yeah, I'd back city at the prices because yeah, I don't think Villa's um, results are sustainable in the long term. And they've been oh, they were overachieving last season. They're overachieving this season. So I do I do expect some regression. I also think about the fact that uh, I'm not sure how comfortable Carlos and Pau Torres are playing out from the back. Saw so the first goal for Bournemouth came as a result of a poor pass from Carlos, and we saw against uh, when City played Tottenham how well they were at winning the ball back high up the pitch. I mean, we know that as a rule anyway, but it's just a fact you see it probably a bit more often now because teams are. Trying to, everyone's trying to play out from the back and almost be too clever. So, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, basically, long story short, it's so much unpredictability that I think it's better to sort of have a watch and uh, and go from there. Because I because I was thinking maybe it could even be a low scoring game if uh, Emery sets up to play, you know, tight and compact. But we've seen how high their defensive line has been Villa. So yeah, it could be it could be as fun as Mark suggests. 
Nice little range of opinions there. Worth bearing in mind that injury time goals could be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bet. So you've now got 90-minute payouts to rescue you if necessary. If the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands, your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description, 18plusbegambleaware.org. Burnley smashed Sheffield United at the weekend, but perhaps they'll face a tougher test at Wolves. By the way, at time of recording, it's being reported that Paul Heckingbottom is going to get the sack at Sheffield United. And they're talking about Chris Wilder coming back in there. So we might talk about that more uh, in the weekend shows later in the week. But Emmett, what's the angle here with Wolves Burnley? Because Wolves, you know, at times they were cut apart by Arsenal. There's no getting away from that. But Cunha got that goal and made it a bit tighter than it could have been. Yeah, I think this is a game to me that reflects the kind of the increase in kind of Premier League goals and, and just kind of because Mark Stinch alluded to again, get the TV show analogy, the Premier Premier League is doing a kind of bit of a Game of Thrones style kind of uh, <laughs> they've just like increased the sex and violence in kind of footballing terms, increased the goals and cards. Like the this season we're on course for a record breaking 3.16 goals per game in the Premier League. I've kind of mentioned about the increase in cards, roughly about one card per game on average increase. There's been this is to me the most kind of Significant stat in terms of, in terms of the volatility of the red cards through fourteen weeks the season there have been more red cards given this season than the whole of last season which I think is, is crazy like I mean that is insane right it's insane I mean, yeah and it's, it's actually something that's interesting that we kind of thinking about at work is like like our because kind of the modeling and the in play modeling. Is 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 probably isn't used to I think kind of the amount of red cards that are happening and it is probably I think maybe there might be more in play opportunities or I think there's just I think we're seeing it's unusual what's happening what's happening at the moment we're seeing as well a lot more I feel like first half red cards as well all the time in the past you might see a red card late on so it doesn't have that much of an impact but if you get a red card so early that kind of really distorts the game with things like corners shots and things like that so it it is it, it's kind of bringing something new to the ta- to the table and making probably the kind of bookmaker's job I think a little bit more difficult in that in that way is this just a clamp down like usual referees being told a load of things you've got to book people for this you've got to book them for that is that this or is this just a, a really strange statistical quirk I have mixed feelings on it because I think the Premier League was way too lenient in the past my feeling was that there were these especially referees like Martin Atkinson who were like they thought they had a great game if they didn't book anybody and like, I think there was like I think they were letting go a lot of cynical fouls so I, I actually I think you can say it, maybe it's been a bit too much in some cases but I actually think and like the thing, like as in, I don't think there's anything wrong with like trying to stop time wasting or booking players for kicking the ball away. I think that's like a decent thing. I think there's, I think there's some issues with it, but I think it's relatively well-meaning. Whether it continues, whether it sustains, I'm not sure. The only thing I would say is that Dale Johnson of ESPN, who's a really excellent journalist, yeah, did a good, great. good. He did a good piece about how the ball in playtime in the Premier League, I think, is the highest now in Europe. Obviously, that's due to the kind of the injury time, but they are some of the steps they're taking. They, it is leading to. In theory, like more positive outcomes, more bill of ball in playtime, more goals per game. So you can see, you can dispute a few things about it, but I think there are the bottom line stuff. I think in the, it's probably what the Premier League wants. So while that happens, I think they'll continue it. I think they probably want more red cards, more drama, more controversy, even more yeah. fire nonsense. It all contributes to the, the controversy machine. But we know been, what happened with the final series, Game of Thrones, right? It was yeah, absolutely yeah. dreadful. And yeah, yeah. anybody who watched it wanted to scour their eyes with acid. So Fingers let's crossed. hope that, that doesn't happen. <laughs> 
Definitely, fingers crossed that doesn't happen. Um, yeah, just bring it, bring it back to the more prosaic matters of kind of Wolves, Wolvesy, Burnley. The, 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 both these sides have been actually kind of quite entertaining this season, going against type, especially Wolves and kind of in previous years, like with their kind of being managed by quite kind of conservative Portuguese managers in in kind of Nuno Espirito Santo and Bruno Lage. Like this season, Wolves matches are averaging just over just over three put goals a game. Burnley matches this season are averaging close to three three point five goals per game. Most of them per- against until the weekend. True, but, but, but I do think that like Burnley's kind of positive approach and company's kind of commitment to attacking principles leads to them getting kind of more hidings against bigger teams because that they will try to win and they'll play a style that kind of risks those heavy defeats. And I don't think I don't think company's going to change that. Like seventy one percent of Burnley and Wolves matches have gone over two point five goals this season. But yet over two point five goals for this match is priced at one ninety three, which looks more than fair to me. I think it's it's pricing these teams a bit of reputation and maybe n- not on what we've seen this season. That that, that looks like excellent value to me. Yeah, Stinch, is that how you see it? Plenty of goals here in this one? Yeah, along the similar lines, I want to try and find a match given the increase in goals we're seeing this season as a result of the increase in playing minutes um, that wasn't really reflected in the in the odds. And, and this seemed like a, a really good one based on the the two teams statistically, as, as Emmett mentioned. Um, I, I think I brought it up before, but um, in the, the final 15 minutes of matches this season, we're seeing uh, 26% of goals, which is enormous for a, for a sixth of the game. And it's 20% compared to last season. So it's an enormous, enormous shift. But it's no surprise, obviously, when we're seeing, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 plus minutes of injury time being, being played on. And then even within that injury time, if there's a goal, more minutes are then then seemingly yeah. played. Um, so no wonder the the players are getting exhausted. Um, but yeah, this just seemed like a, a really good angle. I mean, I think I don't want to be too sort of um, um, unclever, if you like. But I think if if in Premier League you got Team A v Team B, and you know over two and a half goals is is like chalked up sort of anywhere in the fifty fifty mark. I think at the moment you can kind of almost blindly back overs. It just just the way the the games are as as we've already mentioned being refereed and rules being applied or not applied in some cases goals randomly given that maybe shouldn't be given penalties given at, like it's you know like it is Christmas but like Christmas cards being given out like it, as I say I do think the Premier League is, has lost a little bit of a shred of its integrity when we look at the the final fa- financial fair play punishments handed out or not punishments being handed out it's just just all really really mad basically um, it's getting messy isn't it everywhere yeah. on and off the pitch so it's trying to sort of sift through all of that and try and find something you can hang your hat on and yeah I think goals as I say you could just almost blindly back goals uh, I think 57 of the last 84 Premier League games have gone over 2.5 goals so that's a strike rate of 68% which is odds of around about 1.5 so you know 1.93 just again sort of a no-brainer and and these two teams, uh, they're both top seven for shots conceded. So they give you a chance. And as a result of that, they're both top seven for expected goals against. And, you know, the beauty here is obviously, you know, one team can could massively take advantage and win three nil and then, but then the bet will win. We're not, we're not necessarily needing both teams to come to the fore and, and contribute. It could just be one contribute. So yeah, I think this is a, this is hopefully be a good example of um, yeah. The increasing goals we're seeing this season, 3.16 per game compared to 2.85 in the whole of last season. 
You just wait till the Premier League brings in sin bins. That's going to be great. <laughs> Why won't they just stop messing around with football? Anyway, uh, Mark, you've been very quiet because, of course, lots of TV programmes have been mentioned that would mean <laughs> nothing to you. Um, how do you see this one going? Because it does seem as though it's going to be lively. It's a massive confidence boost for Burnley, isn't it? I know they've beaten probably the worst team in the Premier League uh, handsomely, but a win's a win. It is. Um, I'm going to oppose them, though. I, I agree with the guys and what they're doing here and backing over two and a half goals. It was my second selection on this game. I have two. Uh, but the other one was to back Wolves, um, who are 2.04 on the exchange. So happy to kind of oppose Burnley because what Sheffield United did at the weekend at Turf Moor was, was bordering on criminal, really. One of the worst away performances you'll possibly ever see in the Premier League. Um and yeah, obviously great for, for Burnley will will increase the belief that they can probably claw themselves out of trouble. But um, you know, one once it's it's not going to change my opinion, but they're still quite a poor team. Um they've conceded 32 goals and 14 fixtures, or 32 goals and 13 before the weekend. Um that win against the Blades was their first clean sheet of the campaign. They had conceded at least twice, 10, 10 times already. They've lost 11 games from 11 against teams in the top 12. Wolves Oof. sit 13th. If you exclude the bottom four, Burnley have managed one point from 12 matches. Uh, only Sheffield United are offering less of a threat according to expected goals, excluding penalties and Burnley as well. So kind of happy to oppose them here because uh, I thought Wolves went to Arsenal and yeah, they were blown away in that first half, uh, the first 20, 30 minutes. They could have defended better and Gary O'Neill said as much post-match. But I thought they put Arsenal under some strain in the second half and... Um, you know, it's always a difficult assignment to go to the Emirates and, and compete. And his team were were hindered because they had suspensions to Lamina and Xiao Gomez, two of their, their best central midfielders. They also lost goalkeeper Jose Sarr in the first half. So, you know, taking out three really key players in that side. And uh, I thought they competed pretty well for the last hour, shall we say, at the Emirates. Um, all three should play this midweek. The two midfielders are back from suspension. Jose Sarr's injury isn't serious. And um, so, yeah, schedule-wise, they've had it really, really tough at Molyneux, but they've performed brilliantly. Only lost twice in six, but they've played Liverpool, City, Villa, Newcastle, Spurs and Brighton. And I think they've caused major headaches to all six of those. Even the Brighton game, when they got hammered on the scoreline, they created plenty of chances and, and put the Seagulls under plenty of strain. So, um, you know, if they can do that against the, the big boys, then I fancy them to cause Burnley some problems. Um, they have scored in every game this season, bar the opening weekend when they went to Old Trafford and played brilliantly and didn't they get anything. about six. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So the only slight concern I have here is kind of reading into the over two and a half goal selection because Wolves have only kept one clean sheet all season. So um, they're about eight to 11 on the sportsbook, but the exchange, someone does not like Wolves because they've they've drifted out to 2.04, 2.06. And, and to me, that's that's too good to, to pass up. So I'll happily back them uh, odds against quotes. The leaders Arsenal visit Luton. Stinch might look at this and think, oh, well, that's going to be an easy Arsenal win. But actually... Luton raised a few eyebrows the other week when they nearly beat Liverpool and Liverpool needed a last gasp equaliser in that one. Yeah, Arsenal here going off around about 1.22, which I just, I think if you blindly say Arsenal versus a newly promoted team, they're expected to finish in the bottom two and Arsenal have had a week off. Arsenal have got a fully fit squad. They're going to a team with a um, a new stadium on a 
on a trading estate with no history or whatever, I think, okay, yeah, maybe you can get on board with it. But I, I came into this season thinking Luton might be able to surprise a few people and ultimately not finish bottom, which is what they were projected to do. And it was a, a, a rocky start. And I still think there are going to be more um, games where they are easily second best. I think we saw at the weekend away at Brentford. I don't think they had a shot in the first half. Um, I think they conceded over 20 to, to Brentford, um, who obviously, you know, not your uh, guaranteed sort of top six team. So still think there will be many more days where maybe they, they are massively second best, but I think there, there will be more than perhaps expected where they are very competitive and, and, and are able to, to pick up, uh, the odd point, um, or three, which could go a long way, um, into staying in the division ultimately. Um, if you factor in random points deductions as well, um, and I just, I just think that um, with their sort of, it's, it feels to me like sort of David versus Goliath. It's this fantastic story, you know, of a team that have progressed through the leagues. Um, they haven't spent fortunes. Um, they're, they're, they're reliant on, you know, the the spirit of the team, the the atmosphere of the the club, and you know, people always used to say it's not it's not an easy place to go, and I don't think. Kenilworth Road is going to be nice and cozy for teams no, to to go. It's not, not. It's not your, you know, say a brand new fancy Premier League stadium. So I just think with uh, the time of the year that we're at, the games are coming thick and fast for Arsenal, and they just played three games in eight days after the international break. Now going to play seven games in the next twenty-seven. You know, if that's overall, that's ten games in thirty-five days. So they are going to have to to manage the squad, and I think. You know, there will be times where Arteta will have to rotate both pre-match and in play. So I think there's an opportunity here to get Luton on side with a big handicap. You can bat Luton plus two on the Asian handicap around about 1.86. So for the bet to lose, Arsenal would have to win by three or more goals. And I think that's, you know, that's 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 a nicer watch than say Luton plus one, for example, or Luton plus 1.5. You can totally see Arsenal coming here doing a professional performance and winning 2-0. But in that case, that would be a push, for example. Uh, Luton have lost by more than one goal only four times this season. And I think crucially, all of those came from away from home. You look at their home results, they, they read 2-1, one 1-1, 0-1, 1-2, 1-1, 2-1. And that obviously includes Liverpool, as you mentioned, and Tottenham. I know Tottenham had a red card, but again, that's the, the volatility we're seeing this season. Um, but it is worth noting that Luton do have the worst expected goals against in the division, with 36 conceded. However, 26 of those were away from home. So again, I do think this home advantage, arguably for Luton, is probably bigger than maybe any other team in the division in terms of the difference between their home advantage and an away disadvantage, if you like. If you look at them at home, they're 10th for expected goals against, which obviously doesn't represent their league position. They've conceded just 10, and they've actually managed nine goals for. So as I say, at home, they've been really, really competitive. And you look at this calendar year, Arsenal have won by three or more goals in, in only three of their 16 away Premier League games. So yeah, I, I just think given the the, the state of the, the year and and where where teams are at and with um, squad availability and trying to manage games, I just think like a Luton plus two is kind of feels like maybe if Arsenal were playing in the cup against lower division opposition and, and perhaps not given Luton enough credit for what they're able to what they're sort of managed to create in their home environment. 
Bournemouth finally putting a few points on the board under Andoni Iraola. It took a while, but they're gaining momentum. They visit Crystal Palace. Emmett, this feels like an opportunity maybe for the Cherries because, you know, you wondered if the players were going to get on board because Iraola has a very specific way of playing that demands something significantly different from what they were doing under Gary O'Neill, but they seem to have got the message. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of relieved. I was I was very sweet in them pre-season and uh, my boy Dominic Solanke as well. That's kind of big odds for the for each way in the top goal score. And he's they start starting to kind of creep into contention. I don't think yeah. and if 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 Everson kind of um sorry, so if Bournemouth kind of continue the form they've shown the last few matches, I think I I don't think top ten is 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 out of the question, especially with kind of we've seen kind of points deductions from Everson and like there's, I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility that Chelsea will have a point deduction, given given the kind of the, the amount the amount of charges that 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 are that are coming against them. So like it's again, it's only a three game sample, but like the last Bournemouth's last three performances have been extremely promising. Obviously, it sends the results in the bare form sent decent. You beat Newcastle two one at home, two 0 at home, Sheffield United three one, and then draw at Villa. But the underlying numbers are even better than that. Like against Villa and Newcastle, they had over two point five expected goals in each match, and both Villa and Newcastle had less than one expected goal in each match. So that's like they're comfortable wins on the balance of play against top level opposition. Which is again, not many bottom half teams can do that. I feel like, and I think whereas I think to Bournemouth, I feel our team feels like they're adapting to Raiola style, and and they should be on an upward curve. And I don't think we'll be in relegation trouble uh, the rest of this season. Whereas if Palace, on the other hand, are going through a stretch of form, I think that could potentially get Roy Hodgson this the sack before the new year. I think it was kind of. It was quite telling that that report came out about Steve Cooper, Palace's interest in Steve Cooper. And that's kind of never a good sign for the incumbent manager when you're kind of the, the club is linked with kind of um, other managers who are kind of still, still in the job. Palace only five points for the last seven games, including a home loss to Everton, home draw to Forest, and a went and away loss at Luton. Check to Corey's Achilles injury is just a major blow. Yeah, it's Matt- huge, isn't it? Massively weakens the midfield. You've got your player who, like um, clubs like Liverpool, were looking at last summer to kind of just replace him. Isn't anywhere near the same quality. And Palace will have to probably invest in that position in January. Uh, Eze is a likely absentee as well, and who's like been arguably arguably their best player this season. So you're getting kind of a weakened Palace um, against kind of a a, Bour- a a Bournemouth team on a really upward curve. And given that it, Bournemouth looked just look look kind of a, a kind of a slightly big price here. They're kind of three point four five in the on the exchange I'd probably play it play it a bit safer and back them plus a quarter on the Asian handicap but if you're not an exchange punter I wouldn't wouldn't put you off backing them maybe draw draw, draw no bet or even or even plus one in your kind of in your in your midweek accumulators Tottenham showed admirable yeah, commitment yes. to that oh yes did. sorry sorry we're just on Emmett's dynamic point. things are happening go on we're just on Emmett's <laughs> point in terms of Bournemouth's upturn I think he might have put it up in uh pre-season uh Bournemouth on the handicap for the Premier League table because they're plus 50 and it's still odds of 18 on the exchange. So I was just wondering if you haven't gotten involved in that, Emmett, whether we should get involved in it now. No, I, I actually didn't. No, I backed them. I was mainly Solanke and I've them in a Bournemouth top 10 in a kind of too, too many multis. I was looking at this morning on my Excel. It, was, it looks a bit more promising now. But yeah, I think I wouldn't, wouldn't, I wouldn't put anyone off. I think they're... I think the the teams when you have you're going from a relegation form and kind of they're rated by the market as relegation level to when they're t- turning it and they're potentially looking like a completely different team and you're maybe getting on before the market realizes that I think that definitely definitely is an opportunity. I wouldn't put anyone off at that price. 
Because because Luton in context are rated the worst at plus fifty six. Well, you definitely say Bournemouth are definitely six points better than Luton. So I think yeah. already then you're on to a, a decent position. I think the hand the trouble with the handicap is you haven't got control over all the other the other teams and whether they get an upturn in performance. But you can't really go wrong if you're betting you know nearly odds of twenty with a with a with a handicap of plus fifty. Yeah, I think with Bournemouth it was only ever going to be whether they were willing to take on what Andoni Iriola wanted of them and whether they were able to make it through what was quite a sticky start. But it seems that they're doing that now. It seems he has the authority and it seems that Bournemouth haven't panicked like a lot of clubs would have and kicked him out the door. Uh, Tottenham, as we say, true 3-3 at Manchester City. They face their old London foes, West Ham. Mark, they hate each other and that usually makes for a good game. Yeah, it does. And I'm expecting a good game out of this uh, match on Thursday night again. Um, you know, there's quite a lot of sort of revisionists going into social media and even in the media in, in that Man City match, especially after the first half in which Spurs were, were well outplayed. And and uh, a lot of people were saying, you know, the same old things about being naive, going to the Etihad and playing in such a way with so many injuries. But uh, I thought Postacoglu was, was vindicated post-match. He was interrogated really in his press conference on Friday by journalists asking him if he's going to go defensive because of the injuries and suspensions and he kind of said, you, you don't really get it yet, do you guys? Um, this is not what I do. Um, it's not really about me. It's about the players. And it's about their courage and their mentality. So uh, I was so pleased for him and so pleased for the Tottenham players that they got something out of that game because they showed real courage, real bravery um, throughout the match. And especially in that second half, there was a, a sort of 20, 25 minute period where they were the better team and almost controlling the match. And it was I'm not saying it was a matter of time before they, they sort of scored, but um, City didn't seem to be aware of the threat that they were allowing to stop allowing Tottenham in for but uh, yeah I was just uh, thinking this morning it's now December time and um, such has been the the turnaround the change of Tottenham in terms of their mindset and, and their output really but um, it's almost like we've forgotten about Harry Kane and how he he left in the first week of the season because they've Has anybody seen up. how he's done? <laughs> okay. I mean he's, he's doing all right without them but um, they're doing all right without him too and um, yeah you know, Son has been exceptional. Um, he's been well documented on this podcast with his uh, finishing ability. But Kulazewski as well has really stepped up superbly. And I'm not just saying that because of that goal at the weekend, but he's been um, he's been superb across the board, really. And um, just it's just worth reminding how many injuries and suspensions they've had, and, and how well they've competed without those players with a, a makeshift defence uh, at times fielding four fullbacks and you know players out of position. Sometimes no holding midfielders at all because they've. They're so down to the bare bones. But, um, you know, the, the game against Chelsea was in the balance until very late on when they had nine men. Uh, they were in control for the most part against Wolves until a crazy final five minutes. They dominated Villa and didn't deserve to lose that game. And then they go to the Etihad and pick up a point and score three goals. This week, they get Romero back from a ban. So I'm guessing Emerson Royale drops out and then Ben Davies partners him at centre-back. But none of the injured players are due back. So, you know, they will be better, but they're still going to have that... Um, a weakness, if you like. And uh, I think we've got a West Ham side here who have performed more or less to expectations, possibly slightly above. Um, they have lost by two goal margins to Villa, Liverpool and City already this season, but just two defeats from their other 11 account outings in the Premier League. Um, but quite surprising, I think, for a David Moyes-led side, they, they lack a clean sheets for West Ham, just one all season. And that came at home to Sheffield United. So that almost doesn't count. So, you know, almost only Bournemouth, Luton and Sheffield United are giving up a higher non-penalty expected goals number than West Ham this season. Only Luton and Sheffield United have faced more shots. 
Uh, and that is a concern. Um, and they've been sort of allowing teams to, to back into matches far too easily or, or giving them sort of easy starts. You know, you look at the Burnley match, similar with Nottingham Forest, fairly ordinary again against Crystal Palace at the weekend. So I don't really mind Spurs at the prices, but considering the players missing, um, I'm going to swerve them instead, just focus on the goals because that's what these two teams have done so well so far this season. Um, it's kind of backed up by the underlying metrics as well as the actual goal outputs. Um, Tottenham's goal games are averaging 3.43 goals, 10 of 14 over, 10 of 14 BTTS. The XG is 3.28 per game. West Ham games averaging 3.343 as well, 10 of 14 over, 12 of 14 BTTS. The XG is 3.31. Uh, I mentioned their only clean sheet came against Sheffield United. They've actually scored an all-bar one game this season themselves, and that was at home to Everton of all teams. So they've scored against Man City, Liverpool and Villa. Six of their seven away have seen BTTS and overs banked. Um, and actually, if you combine the two teams, BTTS and overs has landed in 20 of 28 Premier League matches this season. So I'll just combine those two markets again and also back a goal to be scored in both halves which comes in at 195 so um yeah i really like the look of this game it should be should be quite fun and exciting entertaining and goal laden brighton going well in europe have slowed down a bit in the league after a bright start but i mean it was always going to be tough to balance the two competitions they've had some injuries as well Sonny march who's been injured and sufati's now out for a, a fair old while which is a real shame so that was always going to happen wasn't it yeah, I, I kind of, it, I think it's like, it's it's kind of, I, to me as well, I was the biggest question I had about them coming into the season. W- it was just how would they cope with the loss of Caicedo and McAllister and the, repla- the replacements they have, I, I don't think have actually worked that well. When you look at the Brighton midfield in most of the matches, it just, it just looks lightweight. And I think we're kind of seeing that out in the pitch. Like they're, like last season, they're kind of on, on the kind of expected goals numbers. Like they were, they, they were kind of really, really close to, close to top four. They were clearly better than the likes of Man United who went, who went, who went, who ended up finishing there. Whereas this season, they're kind of mid table unexpected goals you mentioned the, you mentioned the injuries like it's it's also a stupid yan as you said fatty and see so well back webster lewis dunk solly marsh so there's just that's just a lot of players to lose and and, and kind of and kind of bring strain on the squad you're seeing kind of uh deserve picking kind of youngsters from the academy that kind of which i think probably out of kind of desperation out of, out of being forced to rather than actually introducing them kind of gradually as a as he as he probably would have liked. And I think this is just this is a very difficult game for them because I think Brentford thrive on playing without the ball. I think they love these kind of matches against the bigger sides where they can sit deep and then spring with um, Mope, Vissa and um, the great the great Brian and Buemo. I think even like Brentford recently lost to Arsenal Liverpool, but those matches were kind of dead even unexpected goals. They've beaten Chelsea away from home already this season. They were ahead going into the 90th minute against Man United before losing. I think they're very competitive in the kind of in these against teams that are on the ball against them and I think that unfortunately the Brentford's prices has moved it but I still like them to avoid defeat here so we're laying laying Brighton on the exchange at, at around evens I think I think the Brighton while they have these injuries I just they 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 are they aren't even close to the side they were last season I think we we could see a bit of, a bit of slippage before we play the players back yeah, Stinch, would you echo that you think Brighton have maybe taken a step back from last season um, I don't think they've had much choice. Maybe when you lose World Cup winner McAllister and some somebody else that went for over a hundred million from a defensive point of view, and then you throw in all the ridiculous injuries on top of a a packed fixture list with having to juggle Europe. So 
very 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 difficult i think to uh maybe be too harsh on uh, on perhaps uh maybe them not doing as quite as well um as in compared to uh last season but again i don't think i don't think i really want to predict who's going to win a football match involving uh brighton you, you see against chelsea um they were I was very surprised that Chelsea were such big favourites um, against Brighton. But even down to 10 men, I thought, oh, OK, so this is Brighton's opportunity to come back and and maybe even win the game, uh, let alone get a draw. And then they end up losing. So, yeah, I just think it, it's too difficult. And we what well, we, what do we know happens in Brighton matches? Goals, right? So why, why try and complicate, I think? Um, over two and a half goals is four to seven. Um, I actually thought that might be a bit shorter, to be honest. Um, I, I thought I kind of feel Brighton should really be on like Bundesliga levels, their matches. You know, you're looking yeah. at sort of maybe four to 11, one to three for over two and a half goals. So I was quite surprised to to see that price. And then, you know, both teams to score is one to two. You combine them together and you're getting almost four to five on the sports book. And I think that's a, a really easy bet to, to go with. I mean, both teams have scored in Brighton's last 18 Premier League games. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's obvious in my mind uh, what, what to what to bet on. Uh, you look in terms of, you know, over two and a half goals, success rate, uh, Brighton's 11 of their 14 games, Brentford, nine of their 14 games, which is still a, a decent return at 64%. I mean, Brighton's matches, 56 goals in 14 games just this season. We know, obviously, it's a uh, very high ever since De Zerbe's taken over. That's four per game. Like we're talking about a goal line of two point five. Uh, Brentford yeah, it's is nearly, isn't it? It's just it's just mad, uh, and it, it's just helped even more with the all the additional playing time. Um, yeah, uh, Brentford's nearly almost three goals per game at forty one goals across the fourteen matches. Um, both are in the top eight for shots and, and ranked similarly for for expected goals for. So again, a really nice matchup in that respect. And yeah, I mean, if you want a template for how the game might play out um any of you remember what the final score was when they played this game in april oh good question three 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 three, three yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly so and we would be happy with a two one so <laughs> half the amount so yeah just keep backing it until the the line i mean i don't understand that we deserve he's been in charge over a year and his yeah. first game was three three away at anfield like <laughs> why why are the why are these goal lines not moving higher but it would Look, we shouldn't complain. We'll just keep just keep backing it until, until it erodes. Yeah, that's the sustainable edge that Stinch loves so much. Finally, Emma, I know you want to take a look at Everton against Newcastle. Hard-fought wins for both at the weekend. Newcastle absolutely battered Manchester United. Uh, Everton got a great win away at Nottingham Forest. For Everton, every point, every win just digs them out of this deep hole uh, that they find themselves in. Yeah, no, I was, I was, uh, my kind of good vibes on a Saturday evening were ruined by that Newcastle Man United game. Like, I met up, my, met up with my cousin to kind of watch the game. Both big fans. It's just like it was, <laughs> just all the, all, any positivity or hope coming into the game was quashed by a kind of a comprehensive, ba- kind of battering by Newcastle. But Newcastle did not come out of that kind of game unscathed. I think losing. Amongst amongst the many injuries they have already, losing Nick Pope was a huge loss, especially coming into a game this Everton match, which which will really test his kind of aerial ability, the the, 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 the way kind of Sean Dyche kind of um, approaches set pieces. 
I just think even though this game, there's a bit of a break from Saturday to Thursday, I would just be a little bit worried about kind of about kind of Newcastle running out of steam, just that they're not making any substitutions. They didn't make a substitution until the 97th minute um, against Man United, despite PSG laying siege to siege Newcastle's goal in, in, in the Champions League. How didn't make a substitute because the options available to on the bench. Well, the bench um, is like a nursery, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like it's uh, mixed up with kind of championship battlers, like the likes of Matt Ritchie and then kind of Lewis Hall is probably the, probably, 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 probably the best player, but maybe how doesn't yeah. quite trust him kind of from a defensive point of view at the moment but as well added to that Newcastle have actually only won one of their seven away league matches this season and they could have had like draw, draws to the likes of Wolves and West Ham they've lost to Bournemouth so they kind of they have they don't have a good they aren't trustworthy at the, uh, they haven't been trustworthy this season against kind of mid-ranking opposition so I think Everton can 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 kind of do enough to to avoid de- defeat here and look, look a nice better kind of a quarter goal quarter goal starter around 2.0 on the exchange uh, Stinch, you've got some uh, outrights that you wanted to take a look at. Yeah, I thought it might be interesting. Now we're about a third into the season to to see where to see where the the land lies. And um, first bet <clears throat> that I wanted to sort of flag up is um, we seem to discuss it every week, um, not just domestically but uh, on the continent as well. But how bad uh, Man United are. And so I thought rather than having to oppose them every single game, you know, they're going off as outsiders at uh, at home to Chelsea uh, this midweek, which uh, is not something historically we've been used to, even in the last 10 years since Alex Bergson left and United have been this volatile uh, team. So by the I, dysfunction derby, that game, isn't it? Man United <laughs> against Chelsea. It's just like, who's worse run? I feel, yeah, I mean, yeah, make it up, go along FC, sort of. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, rather than having to oppose United every week, or maybe there's not going to be the opportunity if the market is going to behave in this manner and and downgrade United. Um, I thought about laying Man United to finish in the top 10 at 1.1. So essentially wow. 10. Wow. I mean, 10, that's, that's a big statement, isn't it? And I get it. I I completely get it. But the fact that we're even... It's not even about whether that's realistic or not. It's just the fact that that's even a conversation for them not to finish in the top 10 is by its nature extraordinary, right? To me, it doesn't feel... I don't know if that's because I'm looking at it sort of unemotionally and yeah, but this a... is my point like you you coming at it in the way that you do it would make perfect sense here is a team that's quite clearly underperforming chaos at the top chaos at the bottom the managers on thin ice the players don't look interested half the time so from your view that absolutely would would be a selection that would make some sense but i'm just thinking more globally the idea that we would say a club like manchester united Oh yeah, well, you know, they might not even finish top ten. That seems wild to me. <laughs> I, I just think uh, if you consider City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Newcastle, Spurs, and Villa as being better than United yeah, in terms sure. of league finishing sure. position, based on not based on ability, but based on the points they've accumulated so far and the forecast of the rest of the season, that already makes Man United seventh. Then you consider. Chelsea, who, as I said, are going off faves at Old Trafford. So that pushes United to eighth. Yeah. And then you've, we haven't, I haven't even mentioned Brighton, 
And Brighton, we know, were going off faves when they played each other in this FA Cup semi-final last season. And Brighton have got a huge ceiling for improvement because of all yeah. the play- all the suspensions, injuries, and new players they've had to bring in. So if you put Brighton above United there, that makes United ninth. So you only need two more. Sorry, not, not, that makes United 10. Uh, sorry, ah. yeah. If you look at, say, Brentford, where they've got Ivan Tony coming back second half of the season, that pushes, yeah, United down to 10th. You know, one more position, someone comes out of the pack. And, you know, there are, I think there are potential. Emmett's mentioned Bournemouth. Um, Wolves under Gary O'Neill have been very progressive. I don't know if there's any potential Everton get their 10 points back because that will put Everton above United as well. Um, em- Emmett looks like he's never going to come back on the podcast ever again. No, no, no. It's, it's, uh, uh, but he agrees I, with it all, don't no, you? No, I, I think agree. I think it's well, like, I think... Um, all these bets a little bit like reminds me a little bit of um, Union Berlin this season that Union Berlin were under outperforming their data massively last season yes. and when yes. when that regression comes it can come hard and and, 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 we, and we've seen that this season with the, the way their forms collapse and are officially I think similarly with United if we see United's results regress to their data like there, there could be there could be like a, a disastrous run of results coming and so I, I, the only thing I'd say maybe is that I think Hag would probably get sacked if that happens. So you, there might be a little bit of volatility there, but at the one at one point one, I think it's looks looks a pretty solid bet to me. Yeah, so I mean, didn't you had some others as well? Some other yeah, well, outrights. United are sixth low scorers in the league. Got negative oh. goal difference. They're the second worst overachieving expected goals from a defensive point of view. When with arguably should have conceded eight more goals. They're twelfth on expected points. That's only three more than fourth bottom Fulham. Um, they're currently four to six to finish seventh or lower. So I think it's worth chancing that 10 to one that they finish 11th or lower. And then you're already on them. You're already against them every week. So then you don't always have to to bet them. Um, and then just looking at the, to win the league, um, City are 1.84. Obviously seen, we've seen them drop points more often than we kind of expected them to do. Um, I'm not necessarily recommending Leyen City or wanting to back anyone else. Arsenal 4.6, Liverpool a 5.5. But I thought it might be a couple of big prices that may be worth getting on side that might actually get those teams on side as well for you and don't necessarily need the team to win the league. So looking at the player of the year market and Trent Alexander-Arnold is 80 to 1 to be player of the year. I think if Liverpool do win the league, for me, he feels like a, a huge contender given the way he's running football matches. And if the game against um, Fulham is anything to go by, him finding more and more positions to score goals. I mean, he obviously yeah. scored against City as well. So it's back to back games as well. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so being able to run games, not, I mean, we already know about his fantastic delivery, but now he's going to add goals to his game as well. Uh, I think he could be a huge runner and 80, 80 to one's huge. Uh, and then for Arsenal, uh, Bakaya Saka is 20 to one, um, joint top goal scorer for Arsenal. He's got the most assists. I think the other thing you get, there's going to be a lot of spotlight on these two players with the Euro 2024 on the horizon yeah, as well. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and I think, and they're both sort of uh, local lads. So I think there's the rom- romantic angle as well. So I just thought those two might be worth adding uh, on side as well. Well, we're going to have our mailbag section, by the way, on the weekend show. So you've still got time to send in your questions for the guys. We've already had plenty in. So we're going to save those 
for the Thursday and Friday shows, but make sure uh, you send them in. If you've got specific questions for any of the guys, if you've got games that you might want us to take a look at or more general questions uh, about betting and tipping as well. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. As I say, the usual weekend shows will be on the channel later this week. Remember all of our shows now on Betfair's YouTube channel for non-racing content. So make sure you like and subscribe. Loads of good previews, written previews on our website as well. Betting.betfair.com from Stinch, from Mark, from Emmett and from me. It's goodbye for now. For Brighton, while they have these injuries, I just they 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 are they aren't even close to the side they were last season. I think we we could see a bit of, a bit of slippage before we play our players back. Yeah, Stinch, would you echo that? You think Brighton have maybe taken a step back from last season? Um, I don't think they've had much choice. Maybe 